To say that life under the sun is challenging is to state the obvious, isn't it? But I don't know another way to say it. <laughs> to say that we all have struggles and fights in our life is just statement of the obvious too, isn't it? It's part of life under the sun. The challenge is not, are we going to face those kinds of things? The challenge is, what are we going to do when we face those kinds of things? Well, the challenges, the defeats, the sicknesses, the failing health, diseases that we face, cultural unrest, well, all those things, how will we face those things? How will we navigate ourselves how will we let those affect us as we strive to please God? Bible characters are among my favorite things to talk about because they put flesh on the bones. They help us see individuals who are real people, who face real challenges, that help us see how we can face challenges in our day, seeing how they face them in their day. And there's one particular individual that was one of the kings, one of the good kings. And that was Jehoshaphat. In Jehoshaphat's reign, there were a number of good things that took place. But early on in his reign, he sent people out, priests and otherwise, to spread the law and to establish the people. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place, strengthened himself against Israel, placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah, and set garrisons in the land of Judah, in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in former, day, former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. He sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand in all Judah and gave presents to Jehoshaphat. He had riches and honor and abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images of Judah. And he lists a number of names and comes to verse 9. So they taught in Judah, the priests and all these he sent out, and they had the book of the law of the Lord. They could have said, Speak, O Lord. Had the book of the law with them, they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom of the lands and were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Do you see what he does early in his reign? Early in his reign here, he is blessed tremendously by God. He is given riches. He's given presence. He is endowed with great power by God, great abundance by God. He's obviously concerned with the people and their familiarity with the law of God. He's obviously concerned that the people be attuned with the law of God because he sees this embassy of people out to spread the law and then it says the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom because they heard the book of the law being said and 
the people of the land did not make war with Jehoshaphat. When you read beginning in verse 12, you begin to see the size of Jehoshaphat's army. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. Verse 12, built fortresses and stored cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah. And the men of war, mighty men of war in Jerusalem, these are their numbers according to their fathers' houses. Of Judah, the captains of the thousands, Adna the captain, and with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. And next to him, Jehanahan, the captain, and with him 280,000. Next to him, Amasiah and Sikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin and Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next, to him, and next to him stood, and next to him was Jehozabad, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king, besides those the king put in all the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Now, being the quick mathematicians some of you are, you would figure that up really quickly to be, 1,160,000 fighting troops. Would you say that's a lot? Would you say that's a mighty, mighty armor? Okay, listen to it. Put a peg there. We're going to come back to that. So here Jehoshaphat is establishing the people. And things seem to be going well for him. And people in the lands are not fighting him, but challenges arise. And as a result of that, Jehoshaphat makes a fatal decision. He agrees to allow his son to marry the daughter of Ahab. He really had a blackout at that moment, it would seem. And allied himself with Ahab. In fact, he allied himself with Ahab, and they're going to go out and fight the battle, but Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, first, let's inquire of the Lord. Well, Ahab has his prophets. He has his yes men. So Ahab goes to each one of his prophets, and they say, yes, yes, yes. And Jehoshaphat says, is there one other prophet anywhere around we can ask? And Ahab says, yes, there is. But every time that guy talks, it's bad for me. He does me evil. They call for Micaiah. And Micaiah says, okay, you can go. But let me tell you, when you do, it's not going to be good for you. There's going to be, be a defeat that takes place. And Jehoshaphat and Ahab listened to the yes men, not Micaiah. And so, you have that. Second event in Jehoshaphat's life, because they're thoroughly defeated, kind of reminds you of the children of Israel when they come into Jericho, or come into Canaan, and they go fight Jericho, and they have this great battle, and then they get kind of full of themselves, they go fight Ai, and they're thoroughly defeated and put on the run. Now then, Jehoshaphat has been defeated. He's experienced that with, with Ahab, and perhaps thinking about that, 
in the first part of chapter 20, there are a number of nations now that are going to align themselves with, against him. And so it says, beginning in verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Did you get how that began in verse 3? Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. That's not what he did when he listened to the yes men of Ahab. Having experienced that defeat, he now sets himself, sets himself to seek the Lord. So you come then to verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not, and in your hand is there not mighty power? And so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it. And I built you a sanctuary in it. In your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in all our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession which you have given to us. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Pause. What was his answer before? His answer before was to align himself with Ahab and experience defeat. But now he says, O our God, will you not judge them, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And drop down to verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great battle, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Those words sound faintly familiar to what was stated in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when David came up against Goliath. The battle belonged to the Lord, it is said. And here it says the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord, but the battle is the Lord's. In other words, Jehoshaphat you're going to be just fine. Now, there's going to be a rather unorthodox way this battle is going to be fought. We'll look at that in just a moment. But, Jehoshaphat, I hear you. 
There are two things out of that reading I want to draw your attention to that I try to emphasize going through. One is when we said in verse 12, Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In verse 15, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. We'll thread through some of that as we develop the rest of the thoughts. But I want to get that story before you. Do you see what's happening with Jehoshaphat? So there are three things I want to share as we work through this and see what some lessons we can learn. First of all, when we think about learning lessons from, from them, we think about the lessons from Jehoshaphat, and the first thing is admit our helpless condition as we seek the Lord. We need to admit our helpless condition as we seek the Lord. And that's what, exactly what Jehoshaphat does. Again, I emphasize, he says, Lord, our eyes are set upon you. We don't know what to do here. We've experienced this defeat. We're not strong enough to overcome these mighty nations that are coming up against us. Lord, we just admit that we're helpless with you. Yes, he had 1,160,000 troops, both those 1,160,000 troops were nothing against the troops that were going to challenge them, and we'll talk about that more. But he first of all had to admit his faults. How would we have done that? Would we have said, Lord, please give me more money? Would we have said, Lord, please take my disease away? Or would we have said what they said, Oh, Lord, our eyes are upon you. If our fault, if our challenge is some addiction, the question is, Oh, Lord, my eyes are upon you. I can't defeat this addiction all by myself. I've tried it, and it is whipping me. It is defeating me. Oh, Lord... I come to you in fear and seeking you, but, oh Lord, my eyes are upon you. If we're having trouble in some relationship, what's the answer? We admit our challenges in that, but we seek the Lord and say, oh Lord, our eyes are upon you. We cannot handle this. We cannot, we cannot affect this. We can't conquer this. Our eyes are upon you. Whatever the challenge that we face in life under the sun, the words that he speaks when he says he feared the Lord and set his eyes upon him, and then the people said, our eyes are upon you. The second thing that we see in this is stop complaining and start praising. We get wrapped up in all the things that are crushing us down, and yes, they're real. I'm not making light of that. I understand those things. I experienced some of those things just like you. But listen, complaining does nothing. Complaining doesn't solve them. Complaining doesn't change them. For all the complaining we do, we haven't affected one thing that's a positive change as a result of it. But notice what he did. He started praising God. Now, whatever the challenge he's going to face with these nations, they're stronger and mightier than he is. And stronger than mighty he is, he could set about complaining and said, Lord, you know I've been a good king all these years. You know how good my daddy was. You know how my daddy served you, and now I'm trying to walk in the ways of my daddy. I'm trying to do what my daddy did, and now look at what you're letting happen to us. Well, I've been a good king. Why are you letting this happen to us? That's not what he does. 
Instead, notice what he does in chapter 20, and notice what he says in verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And your hand is not there, is, and in your hand there, and in your hand there is no power and might, so that no one's able to withstand you. You see what he does? He, he praises God. And so, first, we admit our helpless condition, and second of all, we stop the complaining, and then praise God. But then, third, the rest of the story develops. And this, I think, if those first two are challenging, may be perhaps the most challenging. Stand still and see the Lord fight our battle. Don't have to raise a hand. You have to answer. How good do you do standing still? I don't do good standing still. So after I got that brace off, and now I have dispensed with my hey dudes and my sweatpants, much to the chagrin of some, and evidently a target for Roland to make fun of. I've been going to my physical therapist. And he will tell me when he does something. Relax. 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 After about the fourth time he said that, he said, Relax is not in your vocabulary, is it? I said, no, sir, I have a hard time doing that. Well, you would too if you had a shoulder to operate on. He's jumping up and down on it. You'd have a hard time relaxing too. I don't stand still easy. Do you stand still easy? Do, do you wait on the Lord easy? Or do you want to get out ahead of the Lord and solve the problem for the Lord? That was what Abraham tried, wasn't it? Abraham tried and said, Lord, let me solve the problem Here's Eleazar. Sarah said, here's Hagar. Neither one of those worked out too well. Every time man has gotten ahead of God, man has been defeated. That's what happened today. They got ahead of God. But he says, stand still. We have to stand still and wait on the Lord to fight our battle. But that is significant. Because that then answers the question, who gets to make the final call? Who's in control? Am I in control? My opinion in control? Or is the Lord in control? I want to break this passage down we began with in verse 6 with you and show you how this affected them as they sat and waited on the Lord. Again, verse 6. Notice he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? Are you not in heaven? Here he expresses the holiness of God. Here he expresses the righteousness, the purity, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of God. Oh, Lord God, are you not in heaven? Do you see the appeal? Notice the second thing that he says. Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? What's he saying? God, aren't you sovereign? Don't all nations bow to you? Reminded you of last week when we talked about little in our own eyes and we just briefly talked about Nebuchadnezzar and the lesson Nebuchadnezzar had to learn to, to be little in his own eyes. 
and we saw how God was in control of Nebuchadnezzar and how God controls the nations. God, you're sovereign. You're ruler. There's no one greater than you. And then he says third here. And in your hand there's no power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. In your hand there's no power and there's no might. In your hand there's no one mightier and more powerful than you. How do you illustrate that? How do you illustrate power without limit? But he says, God, you're in heaven. And God, you are sovereign. And God, you have all power so that no one will stand, will stand against you. So the question then comes is, what is our perception of God? Is our perception of God that he's weak and wimpy? Meek, equaling, sissified? Is our God kind of weak and wimpy? Weak and wimpy? Is that him? You see, our perception of God determines, determines how we will respond to him. If we begin to think that God is like man, and since man does something, therefore God would do something, we diminish the greatness and power of God because we put him on the level of man. And that's how we'll treat God. What is, your, what is our perception of God? Do we have the perception of God that is spoken of here? Jehoshaphat learned the lesson from the failure with Ahab. And learning that lesson had more to come. Because when you begin still to break down the prayer, you see beginning in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes upon you, verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because, this, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God. Look at what he says in verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Korathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat said, stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Verses 21 through 23 is what turned out. What happened? And we consulted the people. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and should praise the beauty of his holiness. What just read. And they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who might come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, 
They helped destroy one another. Did you see what happened in that battle? Here's what I want you to do, Jehoshaphat. I know this seems like an incredible, impossible thing to you to think about. I mean, how incredible it was that you marched six days around Jericho, one time each day and seven times on the seventh day, and blow your trumpets. What kind of battle strategy is that? What general is going to sign on for that? He said, Jehoshaphat said, you're not going to lift a hand. I told you the battle's mine. You set your singers, and you set them to praising. Oh, wait a minute. You set your singers, and you set your singers to praising. And they began to praise, and the enemy scattered. They were defeated. Ambushes were set for them, and the people of Judah didn't even have to live a hand. How improbable and seemingly impossible is that? Do you see why it says, stand still and see the Lord fight our battle? He said, stand still, and the singers sang. And now then you have this great defeat that's there. And they didn't even have to fight. What a moment. What a moment that must have been to see that. The question is, what is our perception of God? Do we have that kind of perception of God? Jehoshaphat was fearful, but he's turning again to neighboring nations. He turned now to God. The question is, is not just what is my perception of God, it's who do I turn to in those times we talked about. Who do I turn to? Is God the first one I turn to, or is God the last one I turn to? I don't have a story like Jehoshaphat to tell you today. He's going to do for you what he did for Jehoshaphat. I can't tell you right now to stand and sing and all your enemies are going to faint before you. I, I can't tell you that. I wish I could. But I firmly believe this. I can't answer every question. I can't dot every I and cross every T. But the Lord fighting our battles is not bound to dispensation. The Lord fighting our battles is not bound by the cross and being, being blotted out at the cross. The Lord was fighting our battles long before the cross came, and the Lord's been fighting battles long after the cross has, been, has taken place. Whatever our battles, the Lord will fight our battles. And so who do we turn to in that time? You see, one thing that one thing Jehoshaphat does, backing up to verse 7, that's significant here. Notice how he handles this. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? I would emphasize that last statement. To Abraham, your friend, forever? Whoa. What a statement. How would you like that to be said of you? Put your name in Abraham's place. A friend forever. Abraham is identified as a friend of God forever. But notice what Jehoshaphat did. He reminds them of all that God had done. How can they sing these praises and be confident God will fight for them? Because Jehoshaphat reminds them of all that God had done in the past. And if God has done this for you in the past, what will He do for you now? What did He do in the past? He made a covenant with Abraham. What did He do in the past? He gave Abraham a child when all seemed impossible. What did he do in the past? He gave them a land when it seemed like they could defeat nobody. What did he do in the past? 
He raised up a deliverer to deliver people who have been in bondage 430 years. For us, what did He do in the past? He hung on a cross. He says, lift up your eyes. Do you not see what God has done? And you see His great and mighty power what He's done. And now what's He going to do in the present? And if that's true in the past and the present, what will He do in the future? Yes, we fight our private battles. But over 2,000 years ago, that battle was fought and won. You see, Satan thought he would stop a Messiah then. But that affects me and you. Because if Satan stops a Messiah then, we don't have a Messiah today. He destroyed, God destroyed their enemy. God destroyed our enemy. Our enemy has been defeated. God delivered them. God has redeemed us. The cross stands for redemption. All around that cross stands for our redemption. Do we see what God has done for us? And we see what God has done for us. Do we see what He will do for us? Jehoshaphat said, let me remind you something about God. That's why they can now go and sing and be confident God's going to fight their battle because they have been reminded of what God has done for them. How easy, how easy is it to forget that? How easy is it to forget that? How many times do, do we have something that stands out in our life that is just really gets our attention. Sometimes it's life-shattering, but years go on, year, years, years roll by, and then we begin to have our own kind of life, melancholy along the way, and we forget all that God's done for us. I promise you, I don't want to live November 1st, 1986 again. I pray to God I never forget it. Because I saw two men delivered, though two men drowned. I'll never want to forget March 3rd or July 18th. Because in those days, I looked into the face of two pure babies. Sorry, Joe. I don't want to forget November 14th either. Joe's is a week earlier. Because we got to look into the face of our great-grandson. That's what God's doing. I know you have your dates. I know, I know you do. I know, I'm looking to the face of some of you. I know you have your dates. That's what I'm saying. There's some things we don't need to forget, but we also need to remember what God did for us when we walked through those things and how God has brought us through those things and how God will continue to do that for us. He has redeemed us. He has defeated our enemy. And having done that, we see how He has fought our battles. So, Will we praise or complain? Will we, will we remain helpless and fail to admit? Or will we have the trust and faith and confidence? I know we say those words all the time, 
but they're pregnant with meaning, trust and faith and confidence in a God who has worked with His people throughout all the years He has made us. And say, our eyes are upon you. I have the answer to all of it. But I know someone who does. And if we keep our eyes on him, we will not lose. Don't you love the story of Jehoshaphat? Let me close with one more thing here. In chapter 22, so Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azabah, the daughter of Shehai. And he walked in the way of his father, Asa, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of God. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Jehoshaphat tried to, to direct the hearts of the people to God, but they would not. But do you see those profound words? He walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn from the right nor to the left. Parents, what are we doing with our children? We're trying to teach them to walk in the ways of God. We're trying to teach them not to look to us, but to look to the Lord. And we're trying to instill in them a heart for God. The people failed. Jehoshaphat didn't. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.